Timothy chapter 4. We started a brief series uh, before, well, everything. And uh, and I want to go ahead and finish that up tonight. A couple of things that I want to bring into our thoughts the next few Sundays, morning and evening. Um, First, uh, next Sunday morning, Lord willing, I want to begin a series on spiritual gifts. I am convinced that there is no limit to how God can use a church if everybody's exercising their spiritual gifts. And there's a lot to be said about that in Scripture. Then on uh, Sunday nights, I'd like to spend just a, a couple of weeks, um, and it just left me. But it was good, y'all. It was good. Man, now I'm excited to find out what it is. It'll pop back in the middle of the message, and I'll just blurt it out. We'll see what. Wow. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Paul speaking to Timothy, he says, For I'm now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. I want to speak to you for the last time for a while tonight on the subject of ready. Ready. Father, would you help us tonight? Would you take control of this message and use it to your best liking? Lord, I I had a conversation today with Brother Horton about how... uh, how easy it is to preach in a way that tries to convince people to be like us instead of to be like Jesus, to preach our preferences, to preach our comfort level, to preach where we've come from, and, Lord, not to just preach the Bible. So, Lord, would you help me to just rightly divide your word of truth and just preach the Bible tonight? And may Christ be lifted up in it. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. And amen. By the way, if you don't know this, uh, Brother Horton, who was here this morning, our missionary to Ontario, um, he has an uncle that many of you might be familiar with. His uncle's name is Arlen. Arlen Horton. The founder, he and his wife, Becca, founded Pensacola Christian College and the Becca Books which as far as I know is still the largest Christian textbook company in the world, that's his uncle. And if you ever saw his dad, they're not twins, but they look like it. They look just like. Um, pray for his parents. They're in the, she's 89, he's 90, and they have some health issues. They're now um, in full retirement. They were semi-retired helping Brother, Brother Gordon up in Canada. But now they're fully retired, and I say that, they're still both very active. But they're fully, fully retired down in Alabama. And uh, um, so uh, pray for them. They've got some, some health issues. But uh, anyway, we're talking about ready, and we're not talking about necessarily ready to, in the fact that you're saved. We're talking about Christians that are saved and are ready to go home. That's where Paul is. Paul is now Ready, He said, for I am now ready. He understands that it won't be long before he'll lose his life. He'll be executed. He'll go to his eternal reward. 
and he's ready. And I think that's where all of us want to be. Now, obviously, we, we're hoping for the rapture. The rapture, that's how we all want to go. But if Jesus doesn't come in the next, you know, several decades, many of us are going to have to face death. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And if that's the case for me or anybody else, what you want to be able to say as you, as you see eternity coming, you want to be able to say like Paul did, for I am now ready. I left it all on the field. I didn't leave anything undone. I'm ready. What must be ready? Well, if you'll remember just quickly, what must be ready? We've got to have a ready future. It means we're saved. We've got to have a ready family. He says, I'm now ready to be offered. That's speaking of a, a drink offering that's poured out. And, and I'm, I'm ready to be offered. I have poured out everything that is in me. And so everybody that I love, everybody that's been under my purview, everybody who's my family, they've gotten everything I have to give them. I've got a ready family. And then I've got a ready feeling. He says, the time of my departure is at hand. And we don't put a premium on feelings, but it's okay to feel as a Christian. And what is it? it's interesting, when he, when he talks about my departure, there's several ways that that's used in the Greek understanding, which, of course, the Old New Testament is written in Greek. That word departure was used for an unyoked animal. My labor's over. An unfettered prisoner. My freedom has come. A loosened tent rope. My permanent home is ready. I don't have to stay in this, this tent anymore. And then the ship that's loosed from its moorings, my journey home has begun. And all of those, of course, are applicable. And already Paul is breathing the sweet savor of Beulah. Now, what we've been wondering about the last few Sunday nights with a brief interruption was how can I be ready? How can I be like Paul and say, for I am now ready? And it began with a fighting spirit. I fought a good fight. A fighting spirit, I have fought a good fight. Then, a faith-filled standard, I have finished my course. That means my focus has been on Christ. I've followed his commands and I've finished the course that he's laid out for me. And then tonight, with the Lord's help, we want to look at the last thing that Paul said there. I've fought a good fight, I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. He's speaking of fidelity to Scripture. I've kept the faith. There's two important words. Well, all of them are important, but the two ones we want to focus in is keep and faith. I have kept the faith. The word keep is from the Greek word tereo. It means to watch over, to heed, or preserve. Now, the tensing that is used here is very interesting to me. What, what he's saying when he says, I have kept the faith, he's saying, the faith was kept by me and is going to stay kept. It's going to stay kept. Even after I'm gone, it's going to stay kept. This word is used three times in one passage. Jesus is speaking. The Lord's prayer is not our Father which art in heaven. That's, that's the model prayer. The Lord's prayer is found in John 17. And this is what Jesus prayed, verse 11. And now I'm no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. By the way, there's only one Holy Father, and he doesn't live in Rome. 
I'm not trying to be unkind to Catholics. There's only one Holy Father. I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. What's he saying? All 11 of these guys are on their way home. They're coming home, Lord, except the one who's made his decision, that son of perdition, that's Judas Iscariot. Other than him, I've kept them. Verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. So that's the word keep, to watch over, to heed, to preserve, to guard. But then he talks about faith, which is pistis. It means a persuasion or a credence. John Phillips has a good definition. He says it's a conviction based on hearing. A conviction based on hearing. The literal image of this word is of a steward who has faithfully guarded the deposit left behind by his master. He has kept that which his master left in his stewardship. Now, where is our faith rooted? When we talk about the faith of the, of, of the children of God, where, not who, where is our faith rooted? This book, right? See, I don't have faith in my performance. I don't have faith in my ability. I don't have faith in my, um, in my, uh, my temper or, or anything like that. My faith must rest squarely in the word of God. This is the deposit that God left us and told us to be good stewards of. He left this for us. The, the written word of God. Now, the literal word of God is who? Jesus. And while Jesus is gone, this is what we use, right? Now, one day, see, as much as I love my Bibles, me and Brother Horton were talking about that this morning, we both are, we both have a problem right now in my study. I've got about 40 Bibles in my study right now. I don't live up to any of them. Neither do any of us. But uh, none of them are going with me. I'll spend eternity getting acquainted with the Word of God. <laughs> as much as I appreciate this leather-bound book, I don't need it there. I've got the Word of God for all eternity. Won't that be wonderful? Our faith is rooted in the Word of God, this deposit left to us by God. Remember what John Phillips said, faith is a conviction based on hearing. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? Now, here's the question that we have to ask ourselves tonight. How faithful have I been to guard the integrity of the deposit that's been left to me? Now, not that the Bible needs our defense, Spurgeon famously said, defend the word of God, I'd sooner defend a lion. Unleash it and it'll defend itself. He was right. 
But at the same time, is it not our responsibility to proclaim the word of God and give an answer to those that ask of the hope that lieth in us? It is. And some Christians have done such a poor job of defending that which and keeping that which God has deposited in us. We've done a very poor job of projecting the word of God to this world, haven't we? Perhaps the final nod of Paul to this faith as he approached the executioner's acts must have been a remembrance of what he wrote Timothy earlier in this same letter. Talking about faith, we're talking about faith and having confidence. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against this day. For that day, rather. If Jesus doesn't come back first, there'll come a day that I'm laying in a hospital bed, or assuming we, it's not some kind of accident. What do I cling to? When everything has been peeled away except eternity that's right there on the edge, what do I cling to? For I know whom. I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Y'all, that's all we got. If God doesn't keep his promises, then we're all in trouble. But he does. But he does. So, what is Paul saying? If I could paraphrase it a little bit, as I come to the end, I am maintaining my confidence in all of God's promises. As Paul faces the executioner's acts, how can he have such confidence? Fidelity to the scripture. I've kept the faith. Listen to this now. I'm going to give you a formula. Those in chemistry class love formulas. Amen. Yep. I'm going to give you a formula. Your faith in God's promises, your faith in God's promises is directly proportionate to your fidelity to God's precepts. Let me say that again. Your faith in God's promises is directly proportionate to your fidelity to God's principles and precepts. If you want to have that calm assurance and peace and be able to say, I am now ready, it will only come as you have been faithful, as you have had fidelity to the scriptures. Got to put it to you this way. You cannot live in sin and then die in serenity. I'm not saying you won't go to heaven, but if you want to die in serenity, if you want to have that peace, if you want to be able to say like Paul, for I'm now ready, it doesn't come by living in sin. So with that in mind, let's 
This is one where the introduction is much longer than the message. And all God's people said, Amen. There's another formula. A sermon will be expanded to fill the time that is left. Almost always. Let's try to move quickly, shall we? How do I maintain my fidelity to the Scriptures? How do I maintain my fidelity to the Scriptures? Number one, love the Scriptures. The most powerful tool that I have to maintain my fidelity to my wife is how very much I love her. Now, it's not the only thing. I need to have systems in place, accountabilities in place, all that needs to be in place. But I'm going to tell you, a pretty powerful part of that is that I love her. Psalm 11997. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Now, how do, we, how do we measure this love? How do we demonstrate this love that we have for the Scriptures? Well, first of all, according to, go ahead and turn there. Turn to Psalm 119.97. I want you to see this. You can remember our text, right? I've, I've kept the faith. Everybody remember that? All right, I've kept the faith. Keep that filed away in your head. Psalm 119.97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119.97. So how do we demonstrate this love? How do we display it? First is depth. Is depth. What's he say it is? He says it is my what? Meditation. Meditation, by definition, is a deeper exercise than reading. You can read your Bible, but that doesn't mean you meditated on it. And if we're not careful, we allow, we allow the wrong crowds to rob us of useful things, don't we? We hear the word meditation, we think the, you know, the Eastern religions, we think of, you know, home, home, and all that foolishness, all right? Meditation just means to run that thing over in your mind over and over again. And that's a deeper exercise. When's the last time you took the time to really go deep? I recommend this especially to young Christians. Um, I was talking to Brother Pauly, Scott Pauly, not too long ago, and I asked him, I said, uh, I said, do you find that having a particular Bible reading plan is helpful. And he said something I didn't expect, but I found I agreed with it. He said, uh, actually a few years ago, I stopped trying to read the Bible through in a year. He said, what I found was I was reading to achieve my goal instead of taking my time. Now, he certainly has read the Bible through over and again. And I agree with him. That said, I'm on pace to finish my Bible reading pretty early. I just can't. I haven't got to that point yet. 
because it's so ingrained. Every Christian ought to read their Bible through in a year. I appreciate that sentiment. But what I tell young Christians is, listen, I'd rather you take one verse and really dig into it and really meditate on it. And you, Listen, God will get you where you, want it, where you need to be. He'll, he'll get you to those passages and all of that. You just dedicate that depth, that meditation. Could I put it this way? We would really do well to learn just to sit still and be quiet sometimes. Take the first phrase here. Oh, how I lo- how love I thy law. That was my dyslexia kicking in. Oh, how love I thy law. I assume your Bible is like mine is. What's the uh, punctuation mark after law? We miss those kind of things when we just skim over, don't we? So what? how should I be reading that? Oh, how I love thy law! <laughs> you got other things in your life you love that much, don't you? My wife! I love my wife! I love my kids! I love my team! You come to these basketball games these kids play in. Why are these people cheering as wildly as they are? Because they love these kids. Oh, how I love thy law. When's the last time God's word aroused that kind of emotion in you? I'll tell you. I tell you, when it gets me, when it hits me that that particular thing that I just read, God set aside just for me. God sovereignly and providentially planned it to where I would get to that place, and I needed that verse at that moment, and He put that there for me. I don't do it as I should anymore. But when my wife and I were first married, periodically I would go and leave notes on her car when she was at work. And I assume she was excited to read those notes. I think. I'd probably get my heart broken if I watched from a distance and saw her treat it like a parking ticket. Oh, you know. I hope I don't seem irreverent. God left a note on your windshield a long time ago. Just for you. Love the Scriptures. It's depth. But I'll tell you what else it is. It's duration. What's it say? It is my meditation all the day. And that doesn't mean you have to spend the whole day reading the Bible. You have other things to do. But can you meditate on the Bible all day? Yeah. Yeah. Again, it comes back to what you love. My wife and I started dating. What do you think occupied my thoughts all day long? I'd love to tell you it was the deeper things of theology. But it wasn't. It's crystal white. Duration. 
How much more should we spend our time throughout the day just letting the scriptures just ruminate and roll over in our minds all day long? Inherent in this is that you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit when you're reading God's word. Every time, every time that I, I, I study for a message, and most every time that I read, I, I silently pray to myself. From Psalm 119, open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. You need to be sensitive. If we're not careful, we can get calloused, can't we? We can, we can have read it so much, or we can get so... Um, you know, so used to it that we can get calloused and we're not sensitive when the Lord is really speaking to us. There's a great story about that, about a, a young lady who was blind. And uh, she had learned to read Braille. And somebody brought her a copy of Mark's gospel in Braille. And she just fell in love with it. And she ran her fingers over it. And she just, just consumed that gospel. And she ran her fingers over that braille so often that her fingers calloused over. And she couldn't feel the bump. She didn't have the sensitivity that she once did. And that concerned her because she started missing things. She started missing the smaller units in that braille, and she couldn't read it as clearly. So she tried something that she found to be very foolish. She tried peeling those calluses off of the ends of her fingers. And when she did, the scarring came, which was worse than the original calluses. And she wept, and she wept, and she wept because she thought, I'll never be able to read my Bible again. And she was so torn up over it that she decided to put it away, but before she did, she wanted to say goodbye to the words she loved so much. So you know what she did? She kissed it. You know what she found? Her lips were more sensitive than her fingers ever were. And it was that expression of love that opened the Bible to her afresh and anew. Can I tell you something? If you'll learn to love it again, it'll open up things you forgot about, and it'll give you new things you didn't know were there. It's interesting. Written Word of God, Jesus is the living Word of God. What's the Bible say? Kiss the Son, lest he be angry. What's that course? I love the old Bible, precious old Bible. It's light on my pathway to shine. It keeps me so sweetly, ever so sweetly, God's wonderful book, divine. You got to love them. Love the scriptures. Number two, if you want to keep the faith, be, have that fidelity to Scripture. you got to love the Scriptures, number two. Now it's getting a little harder. you got to live the Scriptures. Whew. By the way, if you love them, you'll live them. 
And if you don't live them, you didn't love them. You can't have one without the other. You've got to live the Scriptures. You see, not everybody will read a, book, read a Bible, but they'll read you. They'll read you. We had a couple here this morning. Why were they here? Were they here because they read a Bible? No, they're here because they read a believer. And they read our behavior. We're still in Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Your heart is who you are. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If the Bible is hid in your heart, the Bible resides in who you are. You're living the Scriptures. I know a lot of people that can quote a lot of Scripture, but that doesn't mean they're living it. There are professors at the Yale School of Divinity that have committed large portions of Scripture to memory, and they have no idea what to do with it. They're not living it. I was researching a preacher. I had come across him, and I wondered what his background was. And uh, he's, he's Presbyterian. And his uh, church is a church that is the Presbyterian Church of the United States of America. There's two great large branches of the Presbyterian Church for the most part. You have PCUSA and PCA. PCA is the more conservative and more true to the Bible. PCUSA is apostate. And sadly, he's part of the PCUSA. Um, and, uh, oh man, he's throwing out all kinds of scripture and he's not using any of them correctly. He claims to love the scriptures, but he doesn't live the scriptures. Can I tell you something? We've nearly lost an entire generation of kids because we had a whole group of people that claimed to love the scriptures, but they didn't live them. Now, all of us come up short. All of us fail in that regard. But I'm going to tell you something. Our kids know whether or not we mean business. If you want to maintain the fidelity of the Scripture, you've got to love the Scriptures. You've got to live the Scriptures. Here's the last one. And this is going to sound strange. You've got to leave the Scriptures. As I mentioned before, none of my Bibles are going with me. I've labored. There's a part of me that very much wants to have a copy of God's Word in my casket, whenever that is. I don't like to sit around thinking about those kind of things, but you know. But I have made some thoughts about that kind of thing, and I've told Crystal, okay, here's here's the here's the uh, the compromise I'm going to make. You find the cheapest Bible I have, the paperback Bible from the Dollar Tree, and you put that in there. That's as much the Word of God as any other. Do not put that leather one in there, though. Why? Because it's not going to do anybody any good in there. I've got to leave it. And once again, I don't need the book when I die. I'll be with the living word of God. Okay. But the question is, what am I leaving behind? I mentioned this yesterday at the funeral. This, this gentleman, precious man, no, no question in my mind, he's in heaven. His medical condition 
tells me that he never reached a point where he left his innocence, that he, he never had the ability to reject Christ. And so 70 years old, I'm convinced he died and went to heaven. Though not saved, he was safe. And he was blind and nonverbal. And about the only thing you'd ever get out of him was if he got particularly um, enthusiastic in something he enjoyed, he'd slap his knee and say, well, well, well. If he's listening to a song or somebody says something that you know, interests him, well, well, well. By the way, during the music, I feel that way. Well, well, well. You know. And I mentioned this, that though the crowd was small, the people that were there loved that man dearly and had nothing but smiles. And I mentioned in Psalm 23, it says, Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And if people have this idea that that means you're going to have goodness and mercy in your life, no. Now, God is a good God. There's no question. He's a merciful God. But it doesn't say that surely goodness and mercy will precede you or even be with you. It says it will follow you. If, if I put on too much cologne and I walk out of that door and somebody walks by here and they get a hit of that cologne, what's it done? It followed me. It's what I left behind. I ought to live my life in such a way that when I'm done here, I leave behind the scriptures. That when people think about me, they get a whiff of God's word. Because that's what I left behind. That's what you left behind. What did Paul tell Timothy back in 2 Timothy 2? And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Timothy, here's what I'm leaving behind. I'm leaving you the word of God. I'm leaving the scriptures. I won't need them, but you will. And I'm leaving them for you. The best thing I can do for my kids is to have them see me love this and live it. And then they'll know what to do when I leave it. So what? You get that fighting spirit. I fought a good fight. That faith-filled standard, I finished my course. And then that fidelity to Scripture, you love the Scriptures, you live the Scriptures, you leave the Scriptures. I've kept the faith. Then what, what's the result of that? When the doctor says, we've done all we can do. For I'm now ready. Or when that twinkling of an eye moment slows down in time 
and the clouds part and the trumpet sounds and the mighty voice cries, come up hither. In that moment in time, you know what my heart cries out? For I am now ready. That's what we're after. But we can't wait till that moment to be there. We got to do it now.